Think. Act. And prosper. You are now tuned into the Money Level Show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Money Level Show, where we think, act, and prosper. And today, I got a special guest with us today. Um, I asked him earlier, I said, uh, it's hard to get some of these famous guys on, on your channel, you know, but uh, he he definitely took the time to be here and to share some of his knowledge and wisdom with you all. So I want to welcome uh, the contrarians of contrarians, uh, Mr. Stephen Van Meter. How you doing today? Uh, Daryl, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on your show. I, I don't know about being famous and I do often get labeled as a contrarian. But I'm just a guy who follows the data. And, and I guess right now that makes me a contrarian. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I've been looking at some of your charts. I, I really like how you bring up the charts and, and you're very thorough with, with how you explain things and you're educating a lot of people. And I really appreciate that. Well, I, I appreciate you being a fan. That means a lot to me. Yeah, for sure. So uh, kind of in this space of being a, a contrarian, you know, of being the opposite of what uh, a lot of the mainstream or or a lot of what the other people are saying. Uh, what what helps you stay the course when many voices are saying the opposite? <laughs> or you mean almost every voice? I think right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I mean, you, you've got the biggest bet on inflation in, in history. Here I am on the complete opposite end of of that teeter totter, and I'm I'm pretty high up in the sky because there's so much weight on the other end, and I just have to trust my data. The data. You know, I, I understand how quantitative easing works. I understand that we're in a liquidity trap and the market hasn't figured that out yet. And it's made this big bet. And so what I what, what makes me confident that I can ride through this is that I'm going to be right in the end and that there's going to be a huge shift out of risk assets, out of inflation assets, all the way into deflation assets, because what we're doing doesn't lead to the expected result of inflation. Okay. What what assets would you say are uh, more for a deflationary environment? Uh, uh, U.S. Treasury securities are uh, and cash probably the two two biggest ones uh, for a deflationary environment. Usually everything else uh, you see equities, real estate, um, precious metals, commodities. I mean, a lot of things just get smacked really, really hard during deflation. And now they're they can get real hard and then have a rebound after that. But it's that initial shock that you know really hurts. And I mean, we can add the dollar as a great um, deflation-sensitive asset. So you know, cash, which would be you know, or the dollar itself, whichever people you know are investing in, and then uh, U.S. Treasury securities for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. You and uh, Brent Johnson used to make me cringe when I was like, I was like, dollar, ah, you know. But uh, it's yeah, y'all make some really good arguments, and. Um, I recently watched your interview uh, with Real on Real Vision. I believe it was Travis. I've been talking with him uh, through Twitter, and um, yeah, y'all gave me a new uh, admiration for bonds and uh, how how you can play. Because I'm really a gold bug, but just the whole argument of like bonds go up when gold drops, and you can use bonds to buy more gold and things like that. I was just like, I was like, huh? I was like, that's very creative, and I never even thought of that. Yeah, in fact, it's what's interesting about bonds is one of the biggest comments I get is, why, why are you buying bonds for the yield? I'm not. I'm not buying it for the yield <laughs> at all. I'm buying it for the price appreciation uh, when the deflationary you know shock does come, and it will come. And you know, just kind of like you mentioned in that interview with Travis, is you find out there is a relationship between treasury bond prices and gold. 
until that relationship breaks. And it's that break that you're looking for to see bond prices go higher, gold go down, and that's where you can sell your bonds at a premium and, and flip back and buy you know, gold, which is more of an inflation-sensitive inflation sensitive asset with mm-hmm. your extra bond money. And that's what's really cool about it. Yeah, definitely. So, so deflation makes a lot of sense. Like when you're speaking about the state of unemployment, you know, the debt's not being serviced, the debt continuously increasing, you know, all of those things. So are you more on deflation for the short term and the long term, or do you see inflation in the long term? What's, what's kind of your, your take on that? Well, long term, I don't, we're not, unless we do something, whether we change the monetary system or we, we do some more, try some things that we've never done, um, perhaps even uh, Brent's dollar milkshake theory come, could come into play, at least on our current path. You know, we're not likely to see inflation now. Can we see pockets of inflation? Absolutely. I mean, that's what happened you know, after the great financial crisis. You had you know, this big deflationary crash, consumer prices went negative on a year over year basis. And then you had this big burst of inflation. Now the, the longer term trend is still down. That didn't change. But in the midst of the longer term trend, you can get bursts of inflation. That's what I'm looking for. Now, beyond that, as I said, barring, you know, changes in the monetary system or uh, other things, you know, the government does to force lending, uh, as Russell Napier talked about, or the dollar milkshake theory, you, you know, I, it's hard to see it happening, but I imagine that somehow they're going to try to figure out a way to do it because when this eventual game ends, and I don't, I don't think it's going to be the next shock, but maybe the one after that, or even the one after that, we're going to be in such a deflationary spiral that the powers that be will have to make some changes to find inflation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you, you, uh, I, I just sit for hours and just listen to you guys just talk, you know, theories, talk, uh, you know, arguments, all of that. So I'm able to understand this stuff. So, you know, I'm probably going to come back and break some of this stuff down for the audience. But I, I really appreciate what you're saying, because um, when you're looking at deflation, um, you know, uh, just kind of back to the interview that you did with Travis and just talking about unemployment. It's like people can't really afford higher prices right now, you know, and things like that. And so, um, and unemployment is continuously going up. And so that's definitely deflationary. And, and so, um, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, what, so you kind of been talking a little bit on like housing market crash and stuff. Like for me, I just got my real estate license. I'm like, okay, am I going to be like, one of the ants that just get crushed in, in this, <laughs> in this, uh, environment since I'm new. Um, and I, I have some mentors that went through the awake crisis. Um, a friend of mine, he was a loan officer got wiped out. Um, you know, and, and just, it was bad. And so do you see it being as bad as the 08 crisis or do, do you see it like being less extreme or, and what could cause this? Well, I think the situation we're in right now can cause it. I mean, we're, we're in a liquidity trap. So there isn't enough money. And at some point, the money that is chasing housing will dry up. And now you, you come back to, you have all these people on unemployment. You have some people that haven't even uh, been making their house payments since last March. I mean, they've been in some sort of forbearance. You have lots of people that are renting that are behind on payments. And so the question is, who's going to you know, keep putting money up to hold these prices higher? And eventually that runs, that runs out. And that's where, you know, the music stops and you get the crash is you, you, these bubbles inflate and then there's no one left to keep reflating them. So, you know, as someone, I don't have a real estate license, but my advice 
to you and my advice to people back in like 2007 and early 2008 was, look, bubbles do eventually burst. You can make money on both angles. You can make it up and you can make it down. Become a specialist in short sales or whatever. I don't know all the, the right lingo to use. You probably know more than I do. But you know, I, I met some people who did become experts on that. And while other realtors were struggling, they were doing as you know many deals as they could. So you, you got to find opportunity on both ends of it. And I think if you can do that, um, you'll be successful. Yeah, yeah. Recently, I interviewed uh, Jim Rogers, and I believe he made a lot of money in, uh, I think it was the crash in the 80s or something, um, off puts and, and kind of betting against the market. And so uh, that's definitely interesting, um, you know, perspective. And so I kind of have some plays out there where I'm like, okay, let me get some bearish plays, you know, just to kind of add some type of balance or allocation to my portfolio. Um, okay, so, you know, I, I do see like, um, you know, when the 10 year yield was rising, uh, the NASDAQ got clobbered. Um, you know, I was telling people buy whatever the blood in the streets, <laughs> you know, and things like that. Um, you know, cause I know a lot of people that have been playing the, the bigger side of the bubble bubble and they were not ready for, um, you know, what happened, uh, earlier last month. And, uh, do, do you foresee more of that happening and what's kind of that relationship between the 10 year yield and, uh, growth stocks and things like that? Is there a relationship or what, what's your perspective? Yeah. You know, I've, I've been hearing about this relationship between 10 year treasury and the NASDAQ. Um, I, I don't actually understand it, but I can tell you what I do know about yields and stock prices is, you know, first thing I understand there, what, what do yields tell us? And a lot of people think that low interest rates are inflationary, and that's not the case at all. You, know, you have to go back to Milton Friedman, and where you really what you find out is that low interest rates are a sign of tight financial conditions. High interest rates are a sign of loose financial conditions. So in an inflationary environment, you would want to see inflation. And where are you going to get that from? Not from people shorting the bond market as we're seeing today, but from money being created. And well, how has that happened? Well, it, it happens through the financial system, banks originating loans. So money's coming out of the banks and then it starts moving around in the system. That's where you get your inflation from. So what I look for in terms of a macro perspective is if equity prices are rising, I wanna see treasury yields rising with it. If I see treasury yields falling and equity prices rising, then I don't know which one's right, but one of the two is gonna be right. And you get what's called an alligator, John. And, and either that case, one has to come down and meet the other one or the other comes up. But what you have to understand is that low interest rates usually are going to lead to lower stock prices because, again, the same financial conditions are tight. And then we get back to how do you, you know, propel a bubble when financial conditions are tight? And usually that's where you see prices burst. And that's also why you see treasury yields lead stock prices lower. So if you look at back at market peaks, you'll find on average that um, treasury yields start falling three months ahead of stock prices peaking. So it gives you an indicator that the bond market really senses a lot more that's going on. But right now, at least since last August, due to this massive speculative selling and shorting of not just U.S. treasuries, but all government debt around the world, it's kind of given us this false impression that we're in an inflationary environment. But then I kind of lean back and look at the, the credit data, you know, as you're familiar, comes out every Friday, the H.8. And I don't see any lending growth. So it tells me what we're seeing is a speculative positioning here that will get unwound and likely lead to lower stock prices. Mm -hmm. do, do you think that inflation helps reduce uh, government debt um, through whether that's taxes or, or whatnot on, on inflated, you know, 
assets and things like that. Do you do you think that inflation is purpose is to reduce government debt? Absolutely. What we're reducing is all debt, right? If I borrow a trillion dollars from you and I can pay it back with less, you know, with money that's worth less, that's to my advantage. So absolutely. I mean, if you and we start looking at how loans are done, you know, why why are loans why are, why isn't the interest spread evenly across a loan? You ever thought about that? You know, it's all mm-hmm. front loaded, right? We get a loan and we pay interest on it first and principal on it later, is because that the interest is new money, right? It's being created in the system. So the banks want to get that back because the old money is just already there in the system. So there's a priority to in the lending system is interest needs to be front loaded, needs to be paid back first. So it's all designed by the system to, you know, kind of as you mentioned, to, you know, deflate or inflate away the debt. And it makes really sense mm-hmm. when you start understanding how our monetary system works, how loans work. It's all designed to do that. So absolutely the government wants it. And people do too, because if you're loaded up in debt, as many Americans are, well, you could either try to, you know, cut the purse strings back and pay it off, or you can inflate it away. Ask yeah, how many people yeah. would rather inflate it away than cut their spending? A lot. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you look at like amortized loans on homes and how they stack the interest first. And I, I kind of wonder, is, is it because like, you know, the the dollar is worth more today than what it would be in the future? You know, so are they getting most of that money to purchasing power today? And then later on, you know, as the purchasing power dwindles, you know, they, they got a lot of it up front. Right. Well, that, that interest is that is, is new to the banks. I mean, if, if they loan you a hundred thousand dollars and you end up paying them back 150, well, a hundred thousand, they already have. What they want is that 50 back as fast as possible. And yeah, so that's yeah. why you see that interest is front loaded in, in loans. And, and it makes perfect sense. The other factor is we know that interest stays in the financial system, whereas principal repayments are destroyed. So the, again, the bank wants that new money because that is new money to them. You know, if we look at a fractional reserve banking system, if you and I were go down and buy a car and, and get a loan from a bank, they're, they're creating that money into the system. So as we pay the, the loan back, it gets destroyed. Well, what stays in the system? The interest. Well, how are they going to pay, you know, commissions and keep the lights on and all that stuff? Well, they need that interest and they need it up front. And so the system, you know, when you really get into it, you, you start to see how it's designed and you're like, wow, that's uh, it, it was designed with a specific purpose to work the way it's working. Okay. Okay. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so if interest rates uh, do rise, um, go higher, uh, would it render like the government insolvent because of like the debt that we're having to pay back on interest and the national debt continuously increasing? No, the government, the, the government, uh, as the world's reserve currency, we have the, authority to technically print money to cover the debt. That's not an issue, even though we don't print money. And the government, the Fed will not allow the government to go insolvent over that. Uh, Of course, then you could also just say, well, the Fed has the authority to do quantitative easing and that by design is to suppress interest rates. So if they got out of the control where the government was having an issue, the Fed has the absolute tools to take care of that problem. Um, But given government debt in itself is deflationary, it's highly unlikely that given this amount of debt we have now that we will see higher interest rates from it. I mean, there's no, in fact, there's no, there's no evidence anywhere. I mean, you look around the world and you see, you, you, you don't see, hey, this government has a lot of debt and high interest rates. It, it goes the opposite way. The more debt the government has, the more deflationary it is, the lower rates are. And so when you do see 
you know, conditions like now where interest rates are rising and everyone's getting excited about inflation. The bottom line is, and I think, you know, we started the show out talking about this, there's just too much debt. And, and that is inherently deflationary. So you do get pockets of, you know, where interest rates can rise, just like you can get pockets where you see actual inflation, but ultimately it's going to be rejected. Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, now that that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, so what's your what's your price prediction on gold? Like I I consider myself a gold bug. You know, I've been buying a little bit more. You know, I bought some of the dip, and and I have this. Um, you know, that there is I I have known noticed in the gold community that um, that sometimes there are people that are like solely like just gold bias. I call it gold bias. And I, I try to look at all sides, even when it comes to politics, it comes to whatever, Trump, Biden, whoever. I look at all sides and try to get all the information I can and then make a decision. Um, so what, what's your price prediction for gold? And, and why, why, do, why do you think? Why, yeah, why I, you, I think why we're going to see closer to 1300. There's not a lot of trading volume to support the rally uh, that's gone up. Plus, when we do see that flip where bonds take off, gold does go down. And you know, if there's not a lot of volume or buyers there to support it, then it's going to keep pushing down. But at around 1300, there's a lot of buyers at 1300. So uh, I would I would feel very comfortable if prices got to that level to, to where I'd be interested in buying. But yeah, that's what I look at is is that that deflationary flip is going to send gold prices down. Where are the buyers? Well, they're at 1300. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So, so till then I'm going to buy some TLT, I think that's, that's what I'm going to get in. But, <laughs> uh, so, um, what, what situations do you use bonds, uh, as a hedge is, can bonds be a hedge against, um, any inflation, deflation, or in any type of situation. Obviously, when gold uh, goes down, you have bonds that go up. Um, what, what what situation do you see bonds as a hedge? Well, yeah, I mean, you can, there, there are different types of bonds. I mean, you want to use, you know, a coupon paying bonds such as, you know, notes and bonds as a hedge against deflation. If you're worried about inflation, you can use TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Uh, or you could even be, I mean, it's not probably the best hedge against inflation, but it depends on how much inflation, if you wanted to hold bonds in your portfolio just to de-risk your allocation, then short-term T-bills would work too. You're not going to make a lot of money, but you're not going to get clobbered, you know, if interest rates spiraled up like you would be out in the long run. Yeah, because you can sell those bonds and, and buy, buy when there's blood in the streets. Right, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's really the key. And, you know, think of bonds as like an insurance policy and, you know, when it comes time to cash it in, that means you got to go on a buying spree because things are cheap. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. That's great to hear. So, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, Steve. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to continue watching your channel and I will be sure to link your channel in, in the description below. Uh, how can people contact you about any services, your Twitter or your business or anything, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I appreciate that, Daryl. The easiest way to find me is on my website, uh, stephenvanmeter.com. I'm on Twitter a lot, uh, at uh, Meter Stephen, M-E-T-R-E-S-T-E-V-E-N. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I mean, if you go looking for me, you'll find me. Okay, now I'll be sure to spell your name right, all right? <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Make uh, it a little easier for him to find me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you for coming up. Thanks, Daryl. I appreciate it.